Hello, this is Futurist Gert Leonhardt. These are my keynote speeches as podcasts. It's a great pleasure to be with you today. So I'm going to dive into kind of an overview of what I see happening in the next decade, a world beyond COVID. Uh, great research. That's actually a very good fit with my presentations. I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. But let's start right here. Uh, we're going warp drive into the future. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny how digital transformation, so-called, has been vastly accelerated by the COVID crisis in good ways and in bad ways, like working from home uh, and, of course, technology stocks and so on. But the bottom line is that we're no longer in a future that is linear. It's like uh, Star Trek, right? You hit the warp drive button and it just explodes with change. Uh, and these are the laws that are driving that change. You probably heard a lot about a lot of them already. So it's CAC's law. This is the fiber optic capacity. Moore's law, which is the doubling of the power of technology uh, every two years. Metcalf's law, the law of networks, the law of Facebook, you could say. Right? And of course, Wright's law, which means the costs get lower, the more stuff is being produced, 20% lower. So we're looking at this kind of phenomenon, right? 30 linear steps will get you to the living room or out in, on the street here in my house, or 30 exponential steps will take you 26 times around the world. And we are now at the takeoff point of exponential change. That's roughly here, right? So 4, 8, 16, 32, and so on. And we are going in a mind-boggling pace in the next 10 years. Stuff that uh, used to be science fiction becoming science fact. And that's going to impact everything when we talk about the infodemic and democracy and, of course, technology in the widest sense and the need for regulation, things like that, because we can say goodbye to gradual change. This is Boston Dynamics robot. This is, would have been unconceivable uh, just five years ago that a robot can actually do this. And of course, he's dancing to music, which you can't hear. Uh, but this video is on YouTube. Check it out. It's, it's really, it tells you what is happening. We are at the tipping point. And make no mistake about this, we're going to change more in the next 10 years than the previous 100 years. And this gives amazing opportunity to good things, what I call the good future, and of course to many not-so-good things. We have to make wise choices of where we're going with this. And this is why we need to stop asking this question, which uh, is quite common in Europe. You know, I live in Switzerland, but I'm from Germany originally. But uh, the question is, what will the future bring? as if the future was fixed, as if the future was generated in Silicon Valley or in China, for that matter. It's, this, is not, this is the wrong question, right? We've got to ask the right question, and that is, what do we want our future to be? It's going to be about choice. And this is the amazing thing that we have to learn in Europe, that we are actually in charge of our future, right? because the future is not defined by somebody else. It doesn't fall down from the sky. It's the choices we make right now. And the next 10 years will be all of the crucial choices of humanity determining our foreseeable future of our species. It's no longer about this sort of extension like, you know, tomorrow will be like today, just faster. No, we are leaping. Imagine this, right? 18 months, 4, 8, 16, 32, 1 million steps. That gets you to the moon will arrive gradually and suddenly. You know, we're, this is no longer linear. So it's important for us to understand this when we're talking about what is happening. I mean, talking about the infodemic, wait until we have virtual reality, augmented reality, holographic rooms, Microsoft Mesh, HoloLens. Uh, story goes on, yeah? mind-boggling. So 
when we think about what we want the future to be, do we want this to remain our future, being the target of algorithmic media? That's really what is happening behind everything. Media has become a machine, right? essentially an AI, fed with our data, where we're being data mined. And you know, this is not just Facebook, it's across the spectrum, this is becoming a major issue. So we have to decide, do we want radicalization or collectivism? Do we want monetization? Yeah, like you know, Facebook is an amazing stock, monetizing. Or do we want real conversation, human conversation? Do we want loneliness, which is you know, paramount on, on uh, social media? Uh, the, uh, the highest number of people that kill themselves are the power users of social media. Yeah. Or do we want togetherness, actual community? Do we want algorithms or alg algorithms, you know, the, the human things that make us human? And of course, it's not an either-or scenario. It will always be a mix. But if you're looking at this chart, right, technology companies have taken over the spectrum. And many of them are people that I do speak engagements for. And I, so I, I'm intimately aware of this is not necessarily evil intent. right? But in August 2020, US tech stocks were worth more than the entire uh, EU stock markets, all put together. Uh, that leads to sort of, yeah, I mean, can you safely call that cartels? I think you can. <laughs> and this is something that we have to look at. I mean, this is something clearly that is not good for anyone because what we're seeing is this curve here, the produced capital stock is booming, productivity is booming, human capital, well, that's kind of like staying the same, but natural capital is essentially being uh, depreciated at a rapid pace. And so this is something we really have to tackle when we think about the larger view. You know, it can't just be financial produced capital and the benefit of that going mostly to technology stocks. It has, we have to think wider. And this is where the, our thinking about what we want to achieve comes in. Buckminster Fuller, favorite futurist um, of mine, he has said in the 70s that we are going to move uh, humanity to a fork in the road moment where we have to decide where we are going, which, which tour are we taking. And that moment, I feel, is right now. is triggered by the COVID crisis where we're saying, you know, what do we actually want with this? You know, can the free market fix climate change? Can the free market be an answer to healthcare issues? And, you know, the amazing response of having the pandemic addressed with the vaccine in 12 months, that is truly a sign of how we have changed our thinking also. So really, uh, quoting one of his disciples, Barbara Hubbard, right, she says, as we see our future, so we act. As we act, so we become. Very important statement. So the question I have for you, how do you see your future? Are you seeing the future positive? Are you, are you worried about the future? Can we create a pan-European view of the future? Can we claim the future and not leave it to Silicon Valley or to China or to Russia or to anybody, but you know, we have our own vision? That, that's going to be crucial if we are going to become truly united. So as we're moving into this world post-COVID, hopefully sometime this year, we're going to look at a decade of really radical change and transformation, pivoting. A lot of things that were up for discussion that used to be normal, and the word normal is dead now. The new normal, the future normal, better normal. Yeah. Well, we're moving into a decade of traumatic change. This is the time to take initiatives. 
this is the time that we're going to be ready for a reset because of all the suffering. You know, humans work basically on the pain and love principle. And we've had so much pain and now, now it's time to essentially say, well, we, can, we learn from this. We can hit the reset button. Right? We can transform. And this is really important, especially when we look at artificial intelligence. Uh, this is an app called GPT-3 from OpenAI. Uh, an application called Learn From Anyone. It's not public, but you can see it on YouTube, uh, where you can essentially ask anyone about their opinions and the AI will fetch you an answer. That even goes for dead people. I tried Gandhi the other day and asked him a question, uh, parenthesis, and it came back in an app like this. I mean, AI is becoming so powerful that we have to think about how is that going to be for the infodemic? Can, can that be good or bad? Now we have AIs that can make their own spreadsheets. Right, they can basically say, well, you know, I can just dictate something and boom, here we are making a spreadsheet. Uh, imagine how that's going to change education. So, in this world, data is king. Data is the new oil. Now, in many ways, you can say data is the new plutonium. <laughs> it can be used as a weapon. But this is a decision that we must make. How about that interface between humans and machines? How are we going to find the right balance between what the AI says and what the human says and the things that make us human, right? the emotions, the creativity, the imagination. And that's really, for example, what media is all about. Media really isn't just about facts. It's about stories. Right? It's about emotions. And this is why it's so important to think about if, how we want to retain that. Or do we just want everything to become algorithmic? An algorithmic society would not be worth living in in the end. And this is something that certainly here in Europe, being mostly humanists and collectivists and having a kind of a social capitalism, uh, that's probably not something that we would want. So that's going to bring up a huge agenda in terms of you know, driving that forward. And the Commission, in my view, has done a great job uh, uh, by taking the first steps in this direction, this being, of course, a complicated territory. Right? So, as we're moving into this future with the game changes, what I call the game changes, 3D printing, AI, and so on, this is going to be the important question. It's not an either-or question. We must embrace technology in Europe. We must further science. We must not be inhibited with inventing things. But at the same time, we need to protect what makes us human, the purpose, the critical thinking, the foresight. It's going to be about balance. And that balance to strike that is crucial when we talk about the infodemic. It's not just black or white, good or bad. And that same goes for China, in my view. Right? It's a question about what, what do we want to reach and how do we best get there and do we find the standard? You know? Remember, when we, when we had other dangers before, like the nuclear bomb, you know, we had two of them and then it took 12 years, 1967, oh, well, a lot longer than 12 years, 22 years, to come up with a non-proliferation treaty which is still in place today. Are we going to need the same for artificial intelligence, for genetic engineering? Well, clearly that is a discussion to be had. Right? Looking at this chart, you can also see what impact this crisis and everything around us has had on inequality. I mean, if you're looking at this chart, this is US numbers, right? It's basically 5% of American families own about 70% of the equities uh, and 85% of the directly held stock. Right? I mean, talk about inequality as a major side effect. Basically, everybody, everybody on the top got richer in the crisis while everybody else suffered. So very deep topic. 
this is the question that we must ask. How can we reconstruct our world beyond COVID? How, how can we take this as an opportunity, as a reset, as a restart, to get the conversation going that we really need to have? How can we build what I call a new operating system? And this is already coming. Right? And we have to put uh, forward the proposal that we need for this. I mean, obviously, the stimulus package being tied to sustainability, climate change, is one of those steps already. And all the points that the Commission has outlined in addressing the pandemic and the life beyond the pandemic. Right? So let me give you some observations on what I call the new OS, what that could be and how it could come about and what could that mean in the context of the conversation that we're having today about the infodemic. First point is that COVID-19 is really, I wouldn't say just, but it is a test run for climate change. Are we going to be able to sacrifice and make tough decisions for climate change like we did for COVID? Climate change is an emergency, not as obvious as COVID, but it is the same kind of emergency. And we're seeing that debate raging all over the world now. We have to get ready to make some fundamental changes. Here's a quote from Larry Fink, the biggest uh, investor in the world, uh, holding assets of several trillion dollars. He says, I believe that the pandemic has presented an existential crisis, a stark reminder of fragility that has driven us to confront the global threat of climate change more forcefully and consider like the pandemic, it will alter our lives. This was a trigger point. Right? And clearly what's happening now with sustainable investing and ESGs, it's pointing very much in the same direction. But here's the bottom line on this one. Uh, we are not going to tackle uh, global existential issues like climate change until we collectively decide what really matters. Does it matter for us to make more money, to increase GDP? Right? Or do we have a wider view, a kind of new capitalism? Al Gore pointed out sustainable capitalism, you know, a decade ago. Right? I really believe now we're at the point to where we can embrace this idea and say, well, for example, the end of oil is clearly nearing. The end of coal is already here, as many of you know, I'm sure. Right? I think decarbonization is one of the biggest opportunities for us in Europe financial, culturally, in the civil society, and for the planet. And, and this is unfolding very quickly, so we have to put uh, measures into place, as we're seeing in the stat, you know, basically what's happening here from Bruegel, stat from Brussels, right, we are moving to a whole new world outlook. Imagine what that will do to globalization <laughs> and the global power structure that we discussed before. So, we're going to see carbon taxes, right? This is inevitable. Unthinkable, but it will be the new normal. We're going to see a carbon tax on every flight I take that we take, mandatory. A carbon tax on meat. Uh, we already have discussions about that in Holland. Right? So let's get real on this. We're going to have unthinkable changes becoming the new normal. And that is the path of the next 10 years because of the goal that we have set ourselves of net zero and total decarbonization. The second point is, very important for this conversation, that everything is going to get smart. I sometimes call this jokingly the digital transformer. You stick in the old business outcomes, the new one, smart farming, smart energy, smart city, possibly even smart government, <laughs> as we've seen in Estonia. <laughs> Connected, everything smart, everything. And this holds tremen tremendous opportunities for us. And we should digitize as much as we can there, but everything should be as connected and digital as possible or necessary, but not more. 
we have to keep a good eye on the balance there as well. Very important question. You know, we're building essentially a new meta-intelligence. You know, I mean, this is, we can observe this around us every single day with the discussions about big data, about artificial intelligence, cloud computing, and of course, ultimately the Internet of Things and what's called machine learning, right? I mean, that is where all the actions is right now. And, and this is, of course, European research is contributing greatly to this debate. We're building this meta-intelligence, and now the question is, when we have a meta-intelligence that has an IQ of a billion, which is likely to happen in 10 years, right? how do we control it? What are the rules? Who is mission control for humanity? Do we have a voice in this? <laughs> and if we do, we know how do we prioritize? I mean, clearly Europe is going to move to a place where this will be our everyday reality. Every sector of society is merging with technology. Healthcare, banking, financial, and of course media, that has already happened. Under that rule, we have to understand how we agree on the agenda, on the goal. And we have to understand what the suitable measures would be for this. Imagine a world where we are going to be in virtual reality. This is Oculus Rift from Facebook, uh, called the Infinite Office. I mean, kind of like Tom Cruise Minority Report, right? <laughs> going inside of virtual reality. And this is Elon Musk's uh, uh, brain-computer interface called the Neuralink, where he wants, wants to connect our brain directly to the, in, to the internet using uh, electrodes in your, in your head. You've got to check it out on YouTube. Imagine if we're worried about the current gatekeep gatekeepers and manipulators and distorters Right. What kind of gatekeeper would this be uh, if you're going to work in virtual reality? And who is in charge of the standards, the social contract, the laws, the regulation? Clearly, the one threat we're facing, climate change, is now paralleled by a second threat, and that is the externalities and unintended consequences uh, of, of uh, exponential technological change. We, we have to control this. And we have to understand what the goal is. The goal can't just be to have a great stock that sells a lot. I mean, every time Facebook gets hammered with a, some sort of fine, their stock goes up, right? How much sense does that make? <laughs> so we have to think about what do we want? That leads me to point number three. We're going to see tidal waves of technology regulation, antitrust, data privacy protection, digital ID uh, ideas, and so on, because we don't want to turn into an algorithm. The biggest problem we have today is not that AI will come in and take over or kill us or take our jobs, right? It will be that we become too much like them, that we become too much like machines, expecting other humans to be algorithms. I mean, this is going to be the crucial handshake between technology and humanity. We're going to have to figure out what that means. And this is what we're discussing right now. It, it can't just be that technology is all bad. It's not. I'm very much a geek. Uh, I love technology, but what about that balance? You know, the tide is coming in on this, and COVID has accelerated this because COVID has been a boon for technology. Look at all the growth around you, clearly. So when we look at the headlines, we can see that's everywhere now, the discussion of how monopolies need to be reined in and how we can constrain the tech giants and all that stuff. That is a good conversation to have, and it's way overdue. And we have to find a wise middle path here. Right? Clearly, restraining technology per se is not what we want, or neither do we want it for science. Right? So a, mix, a, a mixture of precaution and proaction is really what we need in the end. Again, what used to be unthinkable, 
will become the new normal, the way that we look at the future. And people like Tim, uh, Sir Tim Berners-Lee have already made proposals, for example, for monetizing uh, personal data in what he calls a solid part. So this is already on the way, first trials are already cooking on this. Point number four, because data can also be used as a weapon, and, and the weaponization of artificial intelligence is well on the way, right, we have to find a way to safeguard this, right, if it's going to be a kind of plutonium. And I've suggested many times, in my, also in my book, well, a couple of years ago, my last book, that we need a digital ethics council of governments, cities, right, industry, brands, you know, people who are thinking about only that, you know, what impact does it have on our society? Is everything we, we invent, is it good just because we can invent it? Do we need to not do something? What should we not automate? And, and this is something that's really important. I think Denmark has an initiative in this regard and many other cities and countries have, uh, have initiatives in this. We're going to see a lot more of that because this is not just going to be about ethics. It's going to be about safeguarding humanity. So I, sometimes I call this now the Humanity Future Council, the, the Council of Wise People, you know, going back to ancient Greece and, of course, Italy, the Renaissance. Right? So the, the argument being is that technology is usually a gift, but when, when we do too much of it, uh, it can also become a bomb. Right? Too much of a good thing is a very bad thing. Think about alcohol, food, cigarettes, and now technology. That is really the path that we need to take here when we talk about the infodemic. It's not technology is bad, but it's the way that we've used it and that we've made, made money from it. That is the key issues. You know, as we move from the old world that was concerned with production and work and so on into the electronic world, this has of course mushroomed this concern. And, and we really are still very much behind the thinking that that is uh, dominant already in the US and to move in this sort of experience society of the digital economy. I'm worried about this dehumanization issue and I, I propose that we should think about rehumanization. The more that we connect, the more we must protect what makes us human. And that should be guiding principle to our media policy and our information policy. So I see a coming uh, renaissance, a rehumanization of media driven by what we decide what we want. A rehumanization means having more people, less algorithms, constraining the power of algorithms, figuring out how we can safely pay taxes, right, and get taxes and put that into a public fund, safeguarding what is important to us. I mean, clearly the issue that we're seeing now in media is this, that you know, it's, it's run by dataism. It's all about like whoever has the best data wins because they can sell the most ads. I mean, some, I don't know, 300,000 people in Silicon Valley are working only on getting us to click on more ads. I mean, that, that is an upside-down world. Right? We have to change the business model of the internet. Dataism and, of course, even worse, reductionism. We are not machines. We are not data. Organisms are not algorithms. We have a few other things as humans that we would like to keep. Remember Marshall McLuhan said in the 70s that every extension of man is also an amputation. And yes, we amputate and we move on to new things, but we have to think about consequences and again, what we want. Like I said in the beginning, as we see the future, so we act. As we act, so we become. Do we want to become useless humans? Like many people in the social media business have called journalists kind of useless, right? Because the algorithms can write the story, yes. 
well, that sounds great. It's like an algorithm can, you know, drive my car. We, we are seeing how that has panned out so far. It's kind of working, but not at all like us. We have to think about how we see the future, how we want the future to be. Uh, a, a saying from the Cherokee tribe in, in, in the US, uh, the wolf you feed is the wolf that wins. If we want to have better media, not just algorithmic media, we have to feed it. And those are decisions that we are making right now. We have to discuss what exactly that means. Yes, it's not easier, but I think you know the possibilities exist. They're right here because this is the reality, right? This is the game that we're currently in. We have the same cards that we've had for a long time. Human things. But technology is adding a card every single minute. And there needs to be some sort of balancing process around this. I think we need to keep humans in the loop. We need to keep humans in the decision-making process when it's about human autonomy, about privacy. And even if it's less efficient, we should put humans in the loop. We should never put efficiency over humanity. This is the path towards dehumanization. And that's what clearly what we've seen in media and all around us. This is what has happened. It has been dehumanized. We have to rehumanize, right? We have to think about the intelligence of humans, which are 10 different things, not just algorithms, social, kinesthetic, intellectual intelligence, and, and uh, all of the things that really make us work as humans. You know, those are the things that we need to put back into the discussion, uh, even when there are more mistakes or inefficiency, because that is the process of being human. My sixth point, we are becoming the United States of Europe. I'm wearing my German hat now, not my Swiss hat. <laughs> and this is inevitable. I mean, it's happening all around us and this is the way forward. It is painful for many, right? It is an illusion for others. But on top of that, this whole process is being driven by what is happening in America, the sort of pivoting of America. I mean, I said last year this was likely to happen and now we're seeing this whole drive towards a new uh, global governance, you know, and of course also this kind of idea of, of global collaboration, multilateralism, that's the ticket. And then how can we be multilateral if we're not united? So here's sort of a cartoonish way of saying, looking at the future, you know, on the left, of course, you have the US with this uh, extreme capitalism. And us in, in, in Europe, you know, we're humanists, collectivists, and China, as was mentioned earlier. Uh, yeah, state capitalism and you know, AI and data and surveillance and also not other good things as well. But Europe is in the hot seat between those two places. And we better live up to it and we better take the right action uh, to get on the right on the agenda. For example, with artificial intelligence, we're going to need to figure out how far we go with this because the first part is very positive intelligent assistance, IA. And the second part is kind of okay, that's something to struggle with, but artificial general intelligence? We probably wouldn't want that. <laughs> because imagine a computer with a trillion uh, IQ. Right? I mean, we're going to need a memorandum on AGI, on general intelligence, and this is why we have to team up in Europe to get to that point. So, here's the new OS, and it's primarily based on the discussion about monetary val values. We have to move beyond GDP, then we have the motivation to move beyond single algorithmic media or algorithmic domination or the domination of technology. And that is extending what was discussed by Elkington uh, 20 years ago, people, planet, profit. I propose people, planet, purpose. 
and prosperity. Purpose is a crucial condition that we have to meet because we're looking at the future in the next 10 years, basically in 2030, the circular economy will be the only economy. And does Europe want to be a leader in the circular economy? But this is clearly what's happening. This is all around us and we can only jump on that and also decide what we need to do to make that happen. Let me give you some final thoughts on that and then we're going to go straight into the discussion. Four existential crises and opportunities ahead of us. And I think crises are opportunities. And we can see that again and again here with the COVID crisis. First, decarbonization. That is a several trillion dollar opportunity for Europe, one that we have to jump in on right now, and we are doing that. Wise governance of exponential technological change, that includes media. Rehumanization, not just media, but also of the entire internet uh, as a connectivity system. And a renewed kind of social capitalism based on these four principles. I know that's a large agenda, can't be done this week, but uh, I'm sure we'll find some good solutions. So this is what I'm hoping for for Europe, right? Three major points for Europe, holistic future, circular future, human future, not human-centric as an anthropogenic, but human-centered as in terms of human flourishing. Uh, a couple of suggested action points. I know this is a big topic. We need to get the thought leadership on the future back to Europe as well. You know, we need to build the narrative on what we want the future to be, not just wait for that narrative to swap over from the US or China. We need a stock market that is built on sustainable futures. I call this a SUSDEC, sustainable NASDAQ. Carbon taxes, disincentives, digital protection ID, and just as a concept, I think we should look at sharing social media revenue with public media uh, to create a new benefit for the future. And of course, back to what I discussed earlier, this social media uh, discussion about digital ethics. Right? So, as a final word of warning and inspiration, hopefully, I think we will have all the tools, but will we have the telos, the will? Right? And that refers to those things about changing our democracy because of technology, looking at climate change, and looking at inequality, the major challenges and opportunities. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. Gerd Leonhardt, Futurist and Humanist in Zurich, Switzerland. Find out more about my work at futuristgerd.com, techbshuman.com for my book, and gertube.com for my YouTube videos. Thanks for tuning in.